0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly.
3: This episode is brought to you by BentoBox, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using BentoBox today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com/slash chef.
4: Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is a leading trade association and source of information about the $170 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. If you want to know more about membership, visit SpecialtyFood.com. In each episode, we will share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping to shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, George Hajar, associate editor at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's guest is Natalie King, chief sales marketing officer at Stonewall Kitchen, a beloved specialty food brand that began in 1991 at a small table in a local farmer's market. Their products range from baking mixes, chutneys, jams, sauces, and more. If it can be jarred or bottled, it's likely Stonewall Kitchen has it available. Natalie was inducted into the 2017 SFA Hall of Fame for her achievements while working at the company. Welcome, Natalie.
1: Hi, thanks, George. I appreciate being here.
4: And I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. I have to confess, I do love these products so much. I always have a jar of the uh, habanero mango aioli. It's always in my fridge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great product.
4: Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, let's dive right into it. What is your favorite Stonewall Kitchen product?
1: Boy, I'm an old school girl. I've been here, Mm -hmm. as you know, 26 years with the company. And my favorite product is still roasted garlic onion jam. We've been making it. It was actually a product that was an accident. Uh founded oh, really? Founders of the company, Jonathan King and Jim Stott. Uh, Jonathan's actually my brother, and it's his handwriting on the labels of our products. Mm. Uh, he, they were making roasted garlic and onion jam. They were making a jam, and it ended up overcooking. And they were like, "Oh, let's try this," and it, it's been in the product line ever since.
4: Oh, that's so amazing! And I didn't know. I didn't know that about the uh, the writing on the uh, jars. Um... Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Um, and so you were saying you've been in the industry for 26 years. And what made you interested in like the sales marketing side in particular?
1: <laughs> at, when, when I first started at Stonewall Kitchen, um, I was our 12th employee. And mm-hmm. so I had been in the hospitality industry. Uh, I'd worked for Hilton Marriott Sheridan uh, as a sales manager. And my brother and Jimmy uh, were growing this small business that they started at a farmer's market and they had been giving products to our family members and to friends. And then it just started taking off. And one day um, I was living north of where we are today in York, Maine. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And my mom got sick and my brother said, hey, why don't you come work for me? Um, you can do, you know, sales, marketing, HR, <laughs> you mm-hmm. anything else. Because uh, then you, back in the day when we had 12 employees, everybody wore a lot of hats. But, um, you know, I like I said, in uh, the my I've always been interested in the brand in Stonewall Kitchen. I'm such a huge believer in the products. At today, I oversee our product development team as well as our merchandising team. Um, our merchandising team mostly is the, the uh, team that co- that works with all of our co-manufacturers. So, Stonewall Kitchen today, uh, we have 650 employees. Um, but fifty percent of the products are made within our factories and our own four walls, and then fifty percent of the par- uh, products are are made with uh, our specialty uh, manufacturing partners.
4: Oh wow. yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. And yeah, that's also a lot of information uh, about uh, like where you sort of started out and how you got into um, working with the company. And um, how was sort of the experience working in a family business or going from being in more corporate world and going to working with the family?
1: Um, when I first came into Stonewall Kitchen, I felt, you know, I was pretty young, but I, my experience was really relevant, meaning I brought more structure mm-hmm. um, in regards to guest services and contracts with customers and price tables that were set. And um, And at the same time, my sister-in-law, Lori King, joined the company. She was with the company for a very long time in the role of CFO, and she brought a lot of costing um, and accounting background um, mm-hmm. structure to the business. So that allowed John and Jim just to really focus on creativity, product development in the brand from that perspective. Um, but, you know, we all overlapped a lot. But as the company grew, the toughest part was giving up you know, um, sort of your responsibilities that you have as a small company to other talent, so that you can grow. You can't grow if mm-hmm. you don't bring in additional talent. Uh, so one of the ruts a lot of small family businesses get into is that they continue to try to do everything themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we were pretty disciplined as we were growing to sort of set up a structure that enabled us to continue to, you know, bring in very successful, uh, folks with some good experience as well as promote from within. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. That sounds, that sounds really important. Um, yeah, I was actually, I, uh, the SFA recently had a talk about, uh, like continuity planning in the family. And I feel mm-hmm. like this very much, um, harps on the same issues and same solutions. Um, Yeah. You had mentioned uh, pricing briefly, and I was wondering if, uh, like, as a result of any increased business costs with inflation, supply chain issues, things like that, have you had to pass along any price increases off to the consumers?
1: Uh, Yes, and yes, meaning Mm -hmm. both. We've we've, so Stonewall Kitchen, unlike a lot of the. um, food companies that are members, we uh, 25% of our business is direct-to-consumer, meaning we operate company stores uh, and we have a, a pretty successful D2C business, direct-to-consumer business. That industry norm is usually 2 to 3% of uh, CPG companies. Their their D2C business is 2 to 3%. Ours is 17%, close to 18%. Mm-hmm. So we have passed on to the end-consumer Uh, some cost increase, but I will admit over the last 18 months, we've had price increases to the trade, uh, significantly more than what we have ever done historically that I can remember in all my years of setting our price tables. Our, our team is diligent about looking at our standard costs, rolling them and managing that and really not reacting, um, in a knee-jerk reaction to something that could come down quickly. So say it's a bad crop in blueberries one year. We're not going to raise all our blueberry products because that crop could most likely, will most likely stabilize the following year. And we'd rather ride that out from our customers. But certain things at this point, you know, we just can't afford to ride out. So we have taken very thoughtful price increases, very targeted. um, And we're just about to take a freight increase as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Because that obviously is one of the inflationary uh, changes that we're seeing a really negative impact on
2: mm-hmm.
4: but yeah, that sounds um, like a good way to handle it, especially with the um, like more data driven more reserved thought out uh, solutions um, to those issues.
1: Oh, it, to be clear, George, it's yeah. painful for us to pass yeah. on a price increase. we hate to do it
4: yeah, of course I can yeah I mean I can only imagine i I know that um I guess I haven't in the in the past few years, I haven't personally noticed any (laughs) any changes Um, like that's any more like I guess that's any more different than any other grocery items that I've gone through.
1: Um, Yeah, I think for, for, you know, folks in the specialty food industry, we recognize that typically, you know, we are at a higher price point than. You know, say a Heinz or a smuckers, mm-hmm. and that's based on our processes and the and the you know the quality of the ingredients mm-hmm. that you know we strive to make the best product possible, and we're not going to compromise on that yeah. so in 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 lieu of a shortcut, at times you just you have to take a price increase if you want to um, you know not compromise your quality yeah, of course
4: Where would you say your love from food came from
1: Ah oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I think I grew up in the specialty food business, meaning, Mm -hmm. uh, in the hotel business, I did a lot of, um, I had a chef that would help me create menus and things like that for the hotel for weddings. And that was my first real exposure to a chef, but my younger brother and sister owned a restaurant together when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, just got into Stonewall kitchen fairly early and I wish I could say it was my mother, but you know, she definitely overboiled the broccoli. We'd throw two slabs of butter on it and that was considered good to go. Uh, she was also feeding six kids. So it was like, you know, if you weren't at the table at five and had the clean plate syndrome, the whole thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't think it came from my mom, but I just, I actually love um, when we come up with really unique food items. Uh, you know, you can have a, Stonewall kitchen is just known for unique food uh, flavor profiles. So Mm -hmm. the number one selling jam nationwide is grape jelly, right? Mm -hmm. That's the number one selling jelly is grape jelly. Stonewall kitchen has a grape jelly. It's like number 40 in our rankings of jams and jellies. You know, our number one is wild made blueberry jam. Then it's red pepper jelly, you know, roasted garlic, onion, jam, hot pepper, jelly. So our, our customers are looking at us for very unique flavor profiles. And that's just a blast. You know, we're mm-hmm. not trying to come out with and compete with your typical CPG food companies. We're coming out with flavor profiles that we think are cool and fun.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what, would you say there's any like particular inspiration for some of the unique flavors or flavor combinations?
1: We have a 52-step, you know, product development <laughs> process, and we have a fairly large team that works on product development. But we uh, get together as a team, and everyone submits a ton of ideas. They come from our sales reps, they come from our customers, they come from you know folks like myself that travel and visit a lot of different uh, great restaurants or retail or specialty food stores and find unique things, uh, whether that's you know regionally or globally. Um, And, you know, John, Jonathan King and Jim Stott travel a ton for, you know, they are retired from the company, but they'll send us a ton of ideas randomly. And -hmm. that's where a lot of the inspiration came from. We're less trendy than I would say a lot of other companies are, meaning, you know, we haven't really, We'll we have, uh, you know, a couple of gluten-free products. It's just not our targeted audience. We don't really focus on like paleo diets or, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, fat-free, sugar-free, Um, so what we really focus on for trends might be things that are, uh, fruit flavors. I think we were the first ones that launched sun-dried tomato mustard and then, you know, sun-dried tomatoes were a big thing and then they kind of went away. So we Mm -hmm. are always pushing, you know, what's the next best thing. We don't Mm -hmm. often, you know, sort of mimic other companies. We kind of, we kind of think of ourselves as just great, uh, forward thinkers. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, how do you feel that the like Stonewall Kitchen brand has evolved over
2: time?
1: No, so we started out as you know, a specialty food company out of you know York, Maine.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, we
1: were actually out of um, the boys started at a farmers market, and so mm-hmm. our very first you know wholesale customer was you know one of the oldest family farms in America, and one of the second ones was Crate and Barrel. So we were very much in the department store business, very premium specialty. Um, Uh, you know, accounts that carried specialty foods. And we were super selective about where we would go. We still are. Stonewall Kitchen has great distribution nationwide, but we don't want the Stonewall Kitchen brand to be everywhere. It's just not the price point that it will be successful everywhere, Mm -hmm. but we are nationally distributed. We're internationally distributed. The brand is just amazing. Um, And so in, um, in, 2017 it was uh, Stonewall kitchen actually started acquiring companies in the food spectrum and then in the lifestyle sort of um, um, other consumer goods so we we've acquired uh, I think seven companies at this point over the last you know five years that have really grown the Stonewall kitchen brand meaning mm-hmm. we acquired a company called till and farms Tim Metzger at one point that owned that company was you know, the chairman of the board for the Specialty Food Association. Um, And we've made a lot of great friends along the way that want to retire. So we have acquired those brands, and we have partnered with those brands to um, add the Stonewall Kitchen name to a lot of the products. Mm -hmm. Um, Each one of those brands has its own legacy that we uh, respect and don't take away off of the packaging, but we add Stonewall Kitchen to them. And we're finding that more customers are carrying those products that now that the Stonewall Kitchen brand name is on it mm-hmm. than previously. And that's been a, a big transition for Stonewall Kitchen where we aren't, we aren't just developing all of our own products. We're actually partnering with great companies smaller than ours that have distribution in categories that we currently weren't in mm-hmm. uh, in as big a way. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably been the biggest transition for Stonewall Kitchen over the past, you know, I'd say mostly the last five years.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's interesting. And it's it's uh, interesting to talk about sort of the like ways it's diverged into like, as well as being a like great specialty food brand, also being a partner to all of these other brands. Um, but um, is there anything that um, you you want people to know about your brand that they may not already know?
1: Um I think you know most of our retailers know because there's we have such longevity on our team here at Stonewall Kitchen. We mm-hmm. had a town hall meeting today with uh, where we get all our staff together and we give them an update on the business and at one point someone the HR director said, "Hey, if you've been with Stonewall Kitchen for 20 years or more, raise your hand." And sure enough, there's 10 arms that go up in the room. Oh wow. So <laughs> although we have obviously grown substantially, you know, over the years, there's a lot of um, folks that are with this company that have started with the company that continue to have the same passion for it. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, we've stuck to the core core uh, values that made Stonewall Kitchen what it is today. And the number Mm -hmm. one core value is quality. And Mm -hmm. I think what, you know, folks, when it's funny, as you grow, people say, oh, you're just not as special as you once were. Well, we sure are. It's the Mm -hmm. same wild Maine blueberry jam recipe that -hmm. was made at the farmer's market. And we will never compromise that. And I think, you know, it's one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is the fact that sure, you know, we have the, we have the funds, the technology, everything to probably say, Hey, we could probably reformulate to save a penny or two. And we're like, we're not doing that. That's not who we are. Mm Mm-hmm
4: yeah and that's I think that also speaks it speaks both to the product and also to the the loyalty of the like employees having that message and having that mission and sticking to it. One other question, were there any obstacles that you feel that you faced in growing the business uh, to what it is now, and how did you overcome these obstacles?
1: Oh, good grief. yeah. like any any company growing we've all the obstacles typically are around resources. Mm-hmm. And so, for us, you know at one point, we had to build a building to accommodate the growth of the company and that was a big that was a big undertaking for us at the time and so, in two thousand, we moved into our current building and we've put on many, many additions since that time frame uh, and then it's technology we've always had to invest quite a bit in technology uh, and uh, as of late, the biggest probably challenge has been you know like a lot of companies is just human resources. We've mm-hmm. had a very difficult time. Um, you know, at one point, we didn't have enough employees for our factory. At one point, we didn't have enough employees for our, you know, distribution centers. And so uh, that sort of is the most recent challenge that we've had. But that recent challenge has lasted for a few years. We've definitely seen um, times where the human resources challenge has has really has slowed our sales down. Um, but, you know, that's the case. If you don't have the right talent or you don't, if you're just not able to get folks, uh, you know, that all obviously impa- impacts your business a lot.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, what do you feel is the like solution that you're looking towards now for these uh, stash- staffing issues?
1: We have been really aggressive um, as an organization to increase, you know, all starting wages Um, in our company stores alone. You know, our, our lowest minimum wage is $15 an hour within the organization. And and we've taken significant increases far above that in our factories and distribution and other areas of the company and then offered employees very aggressive bonuses for referrals. And Mm -hmm. we've, you know, we have a really strong benefit package. We just happen to be located in an area in some of our locations that there's just, you know, it's, it's not, um, not a huge pool of people to, you know, to pull from.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so we're almost out of time. But before you go, we'd like for you to participate in our final segment, Take 5. Uh, five questions for you. First, let's pause and take a break.
2: I'm Chava Perivan, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow, to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as SACRED my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 tequila imported by 818 Spirits, Manhattan, New York. 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly.
3: Did you know that over 70% of diners research a restaurant online before ordering from or going in person? Your digital front door is more important than ever. Let BentoBox design and build you a beautifully branded website. BentoBox websites provide sleek design and seamless content management, creating impactful first impressions and converting visitors into customers. And with built-in commerce and marketing tools like online ordering, gift cards, automated email, and more, you can also grow your revenue and keep your diners coming back. Join over 8,000 restaurants that leverage BentoBox to power their digital presence and deliver great hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef.
4: Hello again and welcome back. I'm George Hajar of SFA speaking with Natalie King at Stonewall Kitchen. Okay, here are your five questions for our final segment, Take 5. What is your favorite thing about the specialty food industry?
1: Uh, The people. Mm -hmm. I've made more friends in the specialty food industry throughout my, you know, 25 years in this business that are friends for life.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, What's one thing that the Specialty Food Association has made easier for you as a specialty food business
1: owner? Uh, Listen, we wouldn't be where we were today without Mm -hmm. the Specialty Food Association as a company. The very first trade show that we ever did, Stonewall Kitchen won outstanding product line mm-hmm. at that at that show, and it launched the business at the time.
4: And um, switching gears, if you weren't running a business, what would you be doing?
1: I would be living on my boat doing the Great Loop.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, and what's one piece of advice that you would give a new food business?
1: The first piece of advice I would give them is to make sure that you understand your product costing mm-hmm. and pricing structure. There's so many companies that I have looked at or owners that I have talked to that price their products incorrectly and then went to a distributor model and could never get out of the hole and grow. Mm-hmm. So never underestimate the value of your products or the value of what you're offering, because if you do... You might put yourself into a position where you can't really, uh, you know, grow the business properly because you've established a price point that just is not long term feasible for a profitable business.
4: Yeah, that's a that's a great piece of advice. And uh, the last question: How do you define specialty
1: food? Oh my gosh, that question <laughs> was asked a million times when I sat on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say it's a product that you're proud of the quality of, mm-hmm. and it's sort of unique flavor profiles. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a me too product. It's something that you open and you say, this is absolutely delicious. And the, and it, it's something that you, you would always be proud of.
4: That's a great definition. Thank you. A big thanks to Natalie King for joining us today. And you can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast.